Okay, well, we're looking at Second uh, Peter. We're picking up where we kind of left off uh, before the holidays. We, we went through the book of First Peter um, for a couple months. And, uh, and so we're going to pick up with Second Peter starting today, and it's going to take about seven or eight weeks, I believe, to get through Second uh, Peter. But uh, what's the difference between First Peter and Second Peter? Um, Peter wrote to, to the, peop- the people in what's known today as uh, the land of Turkey um, in that region, and uh, the first letter was written between 62 and 64 A.D., just be, before Nero began his reign. Well, he was in his reign, but uh, just before he started persecuting uh, the, the church, the uh, Christians there in Rome. And, uh, and so there's about a three- or four-year separation be- between First Peter and Second Peter. First Peter had to do with uh, suffering and uh, and living victoriously in the midst of hostility. And if you go back to First Peter, uh, Peter reminds us over and over that our model in suffering and uh, going through the midst of suffering, our model is Jesus Christ. And when people bring false accusation or treat you unjustly because you are a believer in Christ, Christ needs to be our model. We need to take the high road in addressing people who are treating us unfairly. And that our model is Jesus. And so in Second Peter that we're going to be uh, looking at, uh, the emphasis of Second Peter is addressing false teachers in the church. And uh, what was happening then, which I'm going to get into a little bit this morning, is happening today in the body of Christ. And so how are we to uh, address false teachers? John, John MacArthur says this about Second Peter. He says, it's the most graphic and penetrating expose of false teachers in scripture comparable only to jude and so we're going to be looking at uh, false teachers in the church but then another theme of second peter is this importance of knowledge uh the word knowledge appears 16 times in three short chapters. And we're going to be looking at the importance of uh, knowledge this morning. Um, but the primary solution to false teaching is, to, is to, have, to know the doctrines of God, to have knowledge about uh, historic orthodox truth. That's the only way you're going to address false teachers. And uh, I just want to bring to our attention this morning because it uh, became a little bit clearer over uh, the weekend that um, there's a new knowledge that is seeping in to Southern Baptist seminaries. 
And this new knowledge says that you can't have this knowledge unless you are a part of an oppressed minority group. And if you are, you know, if you're experiencing this as a Christian, you can approach Scripture and you have greater knowledge, understanding of what the Bible is really saying. And here's the danger. Seminary professors are saying that we can elevate that experience, that knowledge, and place it almost on the same level as historic Christianity, orthodox truth. In church, that is extremely dangerous. And that for the body of Christ, we need to get woke. We need to become aware of this truth. And if you're in the majority, if you're of a particular race, you can't say anything. And that you need to listen to your brothers and sisters who have been oppressed their whole life. How many have heard of a critical race theory? Can I see your hands? Okay. How many have heard of intersectionality? Okay. How many can explain critical race theory or intersectionality? Yeah. Me neither. This takes a long time, church, to get your mind wrapped around. And for the last two years, there have been pastors in our denomination who have been trying to bring this to pastors' attention. They have been trying to address it with seminary presidents. And our presidents have been silent on the issue. And the pastors of our convention are coming together, becoming united about uh, the danger of uh, this, this Marxist ideology. It is a godless ideology, critical race theory and intersectionality. And uh, there was a new um, network launched Friday. It's called the Conservative Baptist Network. And there are over 2,000 pastors, Christians, who have signed up to be part of this network. And in fact, fact, I just got a text from uh, uh, Chaffa Victor, pastor of uh, Emmanuel in um, uh, Cameroon. He says, I joined! And, uh, And I'm encouraged by this. Now, I just signed up personally. I didn't sign us up as a church because we're not there as a church yet. There's a video that I shared with the elders right around Christmas time. It's called um, um, By Whose Standard? And it was put out by these 
concerned pastors uh, educating us on critical race theory and intersectionality. It's two hours long, okay? It's not something you would want to watch on a Friday night with your wife for a date night, okay? (laughs) But it's really important information. And I've reminded us as elders that we need to watch this video and we need to bring it before the church. And we're not going to deal with this on a Sunday morning. Uh, that's, that's not where this needs to be dealt with. But in life groups, in Sunday school classes, we need to inform ourselves. And then we need to have uh, a Q&A one, one night on a Sunday evening. But church, we need to be prepared um, in being together on this as I go to uh, Orlando, Florida in in June for our national convention. Because this is a very dangerous and divisive topic. And this whole ideology doesn't focus on the fact that we are all one in Christ. That Christ has all made us one. It focuses on our differences. It focuses on our ethnicities and how we see Scripture differently based on our experiences. And that's not what the Bible says. In church, we need to know what the Word of God says. So I just bring this to your attention because it's very timely as to what we're looking at in the book of Second Peter. All right? So with that, Let me read verses 1 through 4. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. The Bible says, church, that there is, uh, there is corruption in the world. And Christians can only escape the corruption in the world by knowing the precious promises of God in Christ Jesus. That is the only way that we're going to escape the corruption that in, is in this world. Now, how do we escape that corruption? I mean, as parents, as grandparents, this is our greatest fear for our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids that they not get caught up in this whirlpool of corruption. How do they avoid it? Peter says the only way you're going to avoid it is by the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. 
And this knowledge is available to all of us as God's children. Look what Peter says in verse 1. Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. First way Peter describes himself is not as an apostle, but as a servant. Guys, I'm here serving you. Yes, I'm an apostle, and God has shown me some things about Jesus Christ through the, through the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'm writing these things down to you, okay? So I'm in that special office. But when it comes to me and you, Peter's saying, we're on equal footing. We are on equal ground. I am no better than you are. Everything that is available to me is available to you through, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You and I, by faith, through the faith that God has given us, are on equal standing. There's nothing that separates you or I. All the resources, Peter said, that's available to me, you have as well. And that is really good news because I think we, we kind of try to convince ourselves, well, you know, if I could just be more like Peter, if I could have just walked with Christ and seen these things, maybe, maybe, maybe I'd be more victorious. And Peter's saying, no, no, no. You are on equal standing with me. I'm just one, one of the dudes just like you. I like that verse in James chapter 5, verse 17, referring to Elijah. James says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Elijah just believed God. He was a man just like you and I. And Peter is in that same category with us. We have all the resources, church, available to us. It's a level playing field. And by how and how does this come about? It's because of Jesus' righteousness alone, by faith. And God even gives us the grace of his faith to believe in who he, he is. And it's all by his righteousness that he has given to us. And what does God want? Verse 2. May grace... And peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He wants you to have this peace. He wants you to know his grace. 
And it only comes by the knowledge of who Jesus is. We must grow in his grace and in his knowledge. That's how we get that that peace. There's only one way. It's through the person of Jesus. And Jesus told us this in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me. Are you experiencing peace today? We want his peace, don't we? We try to medicate ourselves to find that peace. We, we eat that comfort food. I'm talking to myself now, of course, you know, to find that inner peace, to, to soothe stress. Peace only comes through the knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. He has given us his righteousness. We are complete in him. Church, that's a glory. That's a confidence that never fades, that never goes away. Look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can have life. We can live godly lives. We can have peace. We can know his grace. And we can avoid the corruption of this world. But it's only through knowledge of him. And again, this is a glory that doesn't fade. You remember Moses in Exodus when he received the, 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 the Ten Commandments, when the laws of God on Mount Sinai? You know, when he went up for a second time, he was up there for 40 days, um, didn't eat anything, didn't drink anything. He was just in the presence of God, experiencing his glory, God revealing to him how the people were to live, showing us his nature and his character. The Bible says when Moses came down from that mountain, his face was glowing. In fact, it was glowing. It was so bright that he had to put a veil over his face so that uh, people weren't distracted and looking away. But over time, that glory faded away and he could take the veil off. But you know what? For us as Christians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the, the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Guys, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord and the knowledge of who He is, guess what? We have unlimited access 
to God the Father through the person of Jesus Christ. The veil is torn in two. You don't have to go through a pastor. You don't have to go through a piece to connect with God. You have direct access through the person of Jesus. Not only do we have unlimited access, but we can come unashamed with unashamed boldness to this limitless access. And we can continue to behold the glory of God and be transformed by from grace to grace. This glory that is available to all of us never fades away. But it only comes through the knowledge of Jesus. Now, some of us want to say to God, but I want him to do more. I want him to do something supernatural in my life that will get my attention. You know, sometimes God does that in people's lives. Sometimes people have an Apostle Paul experience, okay, on 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 that road when he was uh, about to persecute Christians. Some people, you know, have an encounter with God and they've been drunk or an alcoholic or addicted to drugs for a long period of time. They give their life to Christ and God takes that away. How supernatural that is. I think of um, Whitney um, Harris and her story. And if you haven't heard Whitney's story, uh, mark down the first Sunday in April. The Harrises are going to be with us. And uh, they're going to share Whitney's story on Sunday morning for our service. It's a supernatural story. And those kinds of experience are rare occasions. It doesn't happen to all of us. But church... If we've experienced the grace of God in our life, if we, we, we have humbled ourselves and asked Jesus to forgive us of our sin, that we believe that he died for my sin, and he rose again from the grave, church, that is supernatural. It's God who give, gave you that gift to believe. And that is just as miraculous as anything else, any other person's story. So don't be ashamed of your testimony. It's a miracle of what Christ has done. And so you don't need that, that supernatural event. When you came into relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are no longer his enemy. You are his friend. You've been accepted. You've been adopted. Your life is in Christ. Remember, remember these, um, these nesting boxes here? I went over this when we were in the book of Colossians. Okay? The Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. This is you. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, I'm sorry that this is kind of yucky looking on the outside because I had to take off the duct tape, okay?
okay? And I didn't have time to clean it. But the Bible says when we come into relationship with Christ, your life, your life is in Christ. But not only is your life in Christ, but Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 says that, well, go back to Galatians chapter 2. It's, it's not no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And when we see Christ, receive Christ, the Bible says in Ephesians that, that I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's where the duct tape came along, okay? But we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But not only are, is Christ in us, but we are in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. And so here we are uh, in... Get my boxes mixed up. Here we are in Christ, but not only is our life in Christ, but Christ is a God. And this is where you are. And Peter is saying that your life is no different from my life. We are on equal footing. We all have equal access to God. Now, don't hear me say that we all have equal outcome. It's a question about what we're doing with our equalness. Some believers are really motivated by God's grace in their life. They are overwhelmed. And so they get into this book and they grow. And they go from one glory to the next glory. And God is moving in their life in supernatural ways. Guess what? They're not any different from the rest of us. They've just taken the knowledge of God seriously and pursued him. Peter's saying, all these resources are made available to us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to ascertain. And what ascertain means, he wants us to be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the son of God. That he has the words of life. How do we figure that out? by the precious and very great promises of his word. Verse 4, by, he, by, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that you might, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God has given us very precious promises of who he is in his word. And we learn 
these precious promises. I wish we learned them by going fishing and just hanging out on a lake, you know, like uh, Silver Lake or June Lake, you know, where everything's carefree. We don't have a care in the world. That's typically not how we learn who Jesus really is. I want to take you back to a message I preached um, a couple years ago, Matthew chapter 14, when we were going through uh, the Encounters of God series and talked about uh, Jesus walking on the water. In fact, I I shared this message uh, at Lighthouse on Thursday night. But uh, Jesus in Matthew 14 was at the height of his ministry, uh, height of his popularity. I mean, he was drawing big crowds. And he had just fed the 5,000. And, but he was, rather, he was a bit frustrated because he knew all these people were following him for the wrong reasons, including the disciples. And so he sent the crowd away, and he told the disciples, he commanded the disciples, guys, get in a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee, and I'll meet up with you later. He commanded these disciples to get in the boat because he was going to take them through a storm. Now, there's two kinds of storms in life. There's the storms of correction, when you do really stupid things. And I have been in those storms a lot of times. And I know you have too, okay? Let's all get honest. Amen? Amen. But then there's also storms of sanctification. And this was going to be a storm of sanctification because Jesus wanted them to see more of who he was. So, because if you go to Mark chapter 6, when they got in the boat, the Bible says at the end of that miracle, they had had a hard heart. They didn't get who Jesus was either. And so Jesus goes up on a hill, and he prays. And uh, the multitude went away. Jesus, uh, Jesus is on the hill, and the disciples are in this boat. And they're in this boat. They don't, they don't get across the Sea of Galilee. They go right into a storm. And the Bible says that they've been in the storm about eight or nine hours because Jesus comes walking on the water in the fourth watch of the night. Okay, so that's between 3 and 6 a.m. And they have been struggling. They have been afraid for their life that whole period of time. And in the darkness of the night, at the scariest point, Jesus comes walking on the water. And when you think about Jesus coming walking on the water, guys, it's like he's in a snow globe or something. Nothing's affecting him, okay? Everybody else is in the storm. But he is as sure and as dry as your deodorant. He just comes walking on the water. And, and only, you know, only one disciple recognized, thought it was Jesus. And Peter said, can I come out? Can I, can I walk to you, Jesus? And Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat, takes a few steps. He's walking on the water. But then he starts looking at the waves. And he starts to sink. And he says, prays a very effective short prayer. 
Jesus, save me. Jesus reaches out his hand and pulls them up, and they get into the boat. And when Jesus got with the disciples in the boat, he calmed the storm. And the disciples said, Truly you are the Son of God. And they went to the other side. And when they got to the other side, it was breakfast time. Guess what? That crowd that he had sent away the night before, they found him on the other side. They wanted breakfast. You know, Jesus was their gravy train. That's the only reason why he was follow- they were following him because they just wanted another handout. And Jesus knew it. And instead of feeding them this time, he said something very pointed to them. His toughest sermon. If you want to be followers of me, you must be willing to eat my body and drink my blood. I wasn't talking about cannibalism. You know, the message was, I need to be your everything. And right now, I'm just your food. If you're not willing to eat my body and drink my blood, you can't be followers of me. The saddest verse in the whole Bible, John 6, 66, they all, they all walked away. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and asks, do you too want to walk away? And they said, Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. You are the son of God. God showed them greater knowledge of who he was. And it took a storm. Maybe you're in a storm right now. What do you have? What are you looking at? If you don't have the precious promises of his word, you're not going to grow in the grace and knowledge that he wants to multiply to you. only comes through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's available to all of us. If you're here without Christ this morning, I want to encourage you to don't leave here without him. He came, he lived a life that you'll never be able to live and died on that cross for your sin. His perfection, his righteousness, his purity, he wants to transfer to you. If you'll just place your sin upon him. 
That's the great exchange. And that's what the Bible says he does for us. And your life can be hidden in Christ and God, and you can be on the same level playing field with all of us here in this room, with the Apostle Peter, with Elijah, all of the other great saints of Scripture. You can join us, and you can escape the corruption that is in this world. Church, we need to know the truth. And there are false teachers among us. And what is being taught in seminaries today is going to be taught in the pulpit tomorrow. And as people of God, we have to be willing to stand up and say, we're not going to have anything to be part of that. Our cooperative program dollars is not going to support that kind of heresy. Now, we're not there yet. I hope we don't have to make this decision in June. I hope it gets the attention of seminary presidents and they do something now. So far, they haven't. The church, we need to know the truth. Because only the truth is going to set us free. This godless ideology only brings division and unforgiveness forever and ever. And we can't afford to go there. In a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing the goodness of God. We're saying that at the crusade, the last song, this, this last weekend. But maybe there's some of you here this morning, you don't need to sing. You need to pray with somebody this morning. You need to know Christ. And if that's you, you know what? Everybody else in this room is excited about the decision that you need to make. And so as we stand and sing... Meet us in the fellowship hall right behind this wall. We want to pray with you and share with you, Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word. And uh, God, your word is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is relevant for today, and it is so amazing. God, you know what, what we're going through. Father, I pray for that individual here this morning that doesn't have knowledge of who you really are and, Jesus, all that you've done for them. By your grace alone, we can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't be as good as possible. We can only surrender and say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. We're willing to say that. God, you forgive. You set us free. Use this time of invitation, Lord. Use this message. Grow us 
bring us into greater knowledge, Lord, of what the Scripture already says. There's no new knowledge. There's no new truth. We have the complete revelation. Lord, help us to take it seriously and grow in that. In Christ's name, would you stand with me, please, as we worship, as we sing the goodness of God this morning.